I want to talk to you about my friend Charlie Crawford. He's a 10-time NFR qualifier. Charlie Crawford, time to just shake it out and win. Got it on him fast. Set there up. we are. Here's a day nice money run. lead. You betcha, 3-8. That's an absolute perfect run. Timing was perfect from the time the first swing is up. He's got the control. Charlie made it happen by being timed up with this horse, horse with the steer, and being able to not just rope, but to pick that steer's head up without changing the momentum for the healer at all. We know his beautiful wife, Jackie, all three of their beautiful children, the founder of the Liberty and Loyalty Foundation, which this year will exceed a million dollars raised for military and first responders. I've said it a thousand times, Charlie, it's time to rope, nod and ride, whip and spur. I want to welcome you to the Charlie Crawford Podcast. Let's ride. All right, welcome to the Charlie Crawford Podcast. Today I got Taylor Munsell from Alva, Oklahoma, three-time NFR qualifier and then breakaway, reserve world champion in 2022. Taylor, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. I'm excited about this too. This is my first breakaway podcast. Um, my podcast, I just want to stick with what I know. I know team roping really well. I know a lot of things roping. You know, having a, a wife that breakaway ropes and two other daughters that breakaway rope and all you girls coming around here. I've gotten to be a big fan of y'all. And so this is really fun to be able to to get the breakaway perspective because you guys got a lot going on. There's a lot going on. You guys remind me of what it was like roping in the 90s, like when we were team roping. We were fighting for equal money. We were fighting to get the rodeos into the, the big rodeos, fighting to get equal money at the NFR. And for a lot of you guys that don't know what equal money is, is we were fighting to, have, to be able to rope against the same amount of money that the rest of them were. We would have had half the money added to our event and then team roping wasn't a mandatory event. So a lot of rodeo committees didn't have team roping. And so when you watch guys like in the 90s, they're roping at half the money as everybody else with the same amount of entry fees, you know, and, and all that stuff. And it was hard to make a living and, and unlimited rodeos, yeah, which is exactly what y'all are battling right now, too. Yeah, it's been a learning curve because whenever I started, it was you, every producer that had a breakaway roping, you went to it because you wanted to support them. And now you're in the learning curve of trying to figure out how to rodeo, and especially when it was unlimited in entering, how to rodeo, try to make the finals, still support the ropings that are good, maybe don't enter every single thing just because you have a free day. Mm -hmm. It's been a kind of hard to do because before we didn't have much to go to, and now there's so much to go to. I've watched Jackie have to change her strategy as well. You know, how many runs can you put on a horse, um, you know, trying to save it, and, and then also how much time you have. Because it's what's crazy about about rodeo is you, you know, the, with the PRCA and, and you're chasing those rodeos. I don't think what a lot of people realize is that you are basically chasing points, because the amount of people that I've watched turn out of a, say, a, a rodeo that might be a non-sanctioned rodeo or jackpot that adds a bunch of money, they might skip it to go to a rodeo that counts, that may only pay twenty five hundred, but you'll go to that because those points count toward the NFR. And you're almost not going to the ones that actually pay more because you're chasing points in a, in a way. Yeah, it's a struggle kind of you got to figure out where your loyalty kind of lies on what you want to do. If you're just only going to enter the things that you feel like are paying you enough to come to or if there's certain ropings you feel like you need to go to or some people are real sanctioned with the PRCA, some are real sanctioned with the WCRA. It's just kind of you got to find your what your ground is and what you want to go to. Um, it's not so realistic to try to go to everything anymore. 
which is good because I think it's separating the breakaway so that there's different levels. Because used to, when I was green to breakaway, I amateur, I tried to come to Texas and amateur rodeo and I was roping against Jackie and LD and JJ and, and every rodeo at every amateur rodeo. And now it's kind of pulling us away to the pro rodeos. And I think it's giving the amateur level to some of the girls that need to stay home. They get an amateur rodeo and circuit rodeo that don't go rodeo full time. Gives them a chance to almost kind of uh, cut their teeth. Give yeah. them a, gives them a place to go learn how to win against at another level where it's not quite the full level, but at least gets a confidence to where kind of a feeder system where you can keep yeah. growing and, and getting still, better at. You're still going to have to rope against the top girls. Yeah, there's still bad <laughs> girls down here too. Just, yeah, and there's a bunch down here, but you're just not going to be at least every mm-hmm. $500 rodeo you go to, you know, you aren't going to be seeing them at. And a lot of girls that lived and died amateur rodeo-wise, we don't even amateur rodeo anymore because we're pro rodeo. You know, mm-hmm. there's some girls that still do both, but like I talked to Kelsey, she said, it's crazy to think that I never missed an amateur rodeo finals and now I don't even go to them. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have time. So you've been off to a good start already. The, the rodeo in San Diego, that was a cool rodeo. One of the things that I really like about what that rodeo is, is it's not sanctioned. It kind of popped up out of nowhere. I was talking to Logan Medlin earlier on a podcast and we were talking about that rodeo. It looked like a cool rodeo. And what I like is the fact that that rodeo popped up out of nowhere and for no reason, I mean, or not no reason, but they didn't even think twice about adding the breakaway. They just added it, same amount of money. And what was that like there? What was that rodeo? How cool is it that some of these rodeos are popping up adding big money in the Padres? Like you roped where the the San Diego Padres play professional baseball in Southern California. I mean, that was cool. What was that rodeo like? Oh, it was so cool. It was one of the coolest rodeos I've ever been to. I'm super glad I went and did it. Um, There may not ever be another one, which I hope there is, but um, that's one of those ones that you're going to look back on. You're never going to forget that that stadium being down there on the ground, looking up the amount of fans that were there and how loud it was and how good the fans were and the way they ran the rodeo. They did such a good job. They didn't ask a lot of us. They basically just asked us to show up look good, do our job, and then get paid. And it was very cool to be a part of them. I'm, I'm, they're thinking they're going to try to do more, and I'm really hopeful that they are going to do more. Uh, I know some people didn't go because they were kind of worried how it was going to play out, and I think everybody that probably didn't go probably regretted it because it was Sounded like it. It was awesome. Yeah. I mean, it went off so good. How crazy is that going to a big city like that? And um, Well, for one, I thought it was cool the fact that like – in January, 60-some degrees outside, and here most of us are going to, when I rodeoed, we were going to Denver that time and fighting snowstorms and, you know, all that stuff. And, like, golly, you could think of, like, where they actually could have winter rodeos where it'd be kind of fun. And you guys are outside by the beach. Yeah, that was the thing. How sweet we was that? Outside, the weather was gorgeous the whole time we were there. Um, we're, yeah, where we kept horses was a super nice place. Del Mar racetracks off the hill. I think it was, like, five minutes to the beach. Um, the whole deal was awesome. And yeah, there were some guys that did not, didn't end up making it to Denver to run their calves once they got there, you know, and the weather did kind of get bad everywhere else. So, I mean, I was there 70 degrees and sunny and I kind of felt bad. My family was at home taking care of my stuff. Busting ice. Yeah. Busting ice and freezing water lines and everything else. And I was just living Living it up up. in California. I love it. I love it. That was a good payday, if I remembered right, too, because you and Kelsey had a duel. You guys tied 1-8 mm-hmm. in the uh, top four round. 
which I think everyone knows one eight. Anytime you scratch the one second mark, that's that's doing it. And you were you were doing it. It both of you guys. And went head to head and you guys tied. So they didn't flip a coin, they didn't go off anything else. They let you all rope it off. Yeah. So you had to have a rope off. Yeah, that was a touch uh it just happened so fast. I was you know, I was me and Kelsey split. Neither of us did good in the first round. We split the second round with one nine. And you advanced on money one, and we won enough money to advance to the eight-man round. And then I was one eight in the eight-man round to win the eight-man round. So I had I was high money going. To advance into the four-man round was also high money off of all three runs. So me and Kelsey, she placed in the eight-man round. We both advanced. I was last out in the four-man round. Which is right where you want yeah. to be. You know, I think Maddie was maybe first out was one nine, and then Kelsey was one eight. And I was like, they told us we had to catch in the four-man round to get paid. If you didn't catch, you didn't get paid. They just ground money, that money to the, everybody that caught. So I was like, well, I'm going at him. I'm going to break the barrier win first. And I was 1-8, so I tied it with Kelsey. Mm-hmm. And we knew we had to have a rope off. I'll bet the crowd. Oh, it was I so bet loud. that was so electric. Because that's what, that's what, when you do these four-man setups, that's what you're hoping. Oh, yeah. You're hoping for the competition to just rise to the occasion. And like, I could hear it when you, when I was watching your Facebook and I was watching the runs, you could hear it all over. Yeah. Was, like on the watching you on your phone on Facebook, and they said, "Man, that was nothing even close to what it was like." It was so so loud, live, and it was so fast. I mean, they turned us around and wanted us to run another one immediately. They flipped a coin, and I had to go first. And I mean, when you got Kelsey Chase behind you in a head to head match, you can't really you throw off. a haymaker. <laughs> I knew my horse was going to be tight, and I was just trying to do the same thing: get out and get it on him, and not it wasn't going to make it easier on her, easy on her if I did catch, and. uh yeah, I think I, I kind of hung my rope in my saddle horn coming out of the box, and it took a little bit of my rope away from me in the sh- match, in the shootout round, but we walked away. Kelsey ended up winning it, and I won second, and I think she won over oh, over 25000 in the end. I think I won over 23000 Oh, heck yeah. And we were in the same rig. We hauled out there together. Oh, heck yeah. Hauled <laughs> home together, so. That That's a good a way good to start off your winner. A real well, good way to yeah. start. It's uh, nice to have that kind of, you know, like I said, I'm still rodeoing not only to make the finals, but to pay my mm-hmm. bills at home. So yep. that kind of payday helps a lot and takes a lot of the pressure off going into the winter rodeos where not only do I need to win money for to make the finals, but I need to win money to go home and pay bills because we're kind of slow this time of year. Mm-hmm. We go to rodeos and we may have to go back here three times but when these rodeos are spread out over three weeks. You don't get paid for that long. It yeah. takes a yeah. toll in the long That's run. where it is a lot different than the summer because the summer... Usually, them rodeos start during the week, and they're done by the weekend, and yeah. you get paid. Yeah. These, you're right. These will go on for three, two to three weeks, and you may make a good run, but it doesn't matter till it's over with you. Yeah. You got to go that long without getting paid. Even the long ones in the summer, there's some that you know go two weeks and stuff, but you're going to other stuff. Mm-hmm. This time of year, you're not really... I mean, you can't plan to go to anything over the s- semifinals, because you don't know until you rope there if you make the semifinals, and it just kind of... You just kind of sit and wait. Yeah. Try to keep making runs and advancing, and then... Hope you want a bunch at the end. I'm excited to see where those rodeos come and where they go, like those San Diego rodeos. I heard there's another one coming up in, in November. And I just love the fact that they're just adding breakaway and like it's another event. Oh, yeah. You know, and and, and what that's gonna do, I think, in my mind, is, you know, competition. You know, you gotta have you gotta have competition. You know, that's what makes this country great, the free market. And so when I think those other rodeos start doing things like that, I think it's gonna be really good for breakaway going forward and and stepping up, hopefully, where you guys are finally an event. Yeah. And then it would be awesome to see all it, uh, you know, where that goes from there for sure. Yeah. That is one thing I'm appreciative of from the what we are in Pro Rodeo is that that got us 
to the stage where at least we were recognized to go to there. Absolutely. Because like some people are like, what, are you making enough money pro rodeo to really say you're making a living doing it? And considering the fact I get to go to things like that and the American and stuff, then I, yeah, I am. But those are the things that are kind of making it the step that makes it worth it. When I was, uh, when I was a young kid, I, uh, Ned Keeney and I were really good friends in college and his dad was Archie Keeney and he announced all the USTRC ropings. He was kind of the voice of the, of the USTRC ropings. And he was a, he was a, he was a, a, a guy that, um, we, I would stay, I'd spend Christmases there and I learned so much from him just from, you know, how well Christian family he was and, and just, uh, you know, a lot of just morals and stuff that he, he, he was a, he was a really good kind of mentor in a way when I would go up there. But one of the things he told me is his Charlie boy. He said, you need to make sure you learn the difference between making a living and making money. He says, when you're making a living, he says, that's probably like your regular season rodeos. You know, you're, you're, you're making enough where you're paying your phone bills. If you're winning enough, you probably pay your truck payments. But he said, when you're making money, that's when you can buy a horse. That's when you can buy a truck. That's when you can buy land. You know, and so I think probably your guys' regular season is probably if you do good, you know, you're making a living, you know, you're paying your phone bills, you're making your truck payments, things like that. But you're Americans, you know, those rodeos like that. Uh, so some of them rodeos are adding money, like Houston, you know, that's where I think a guy's actually making money or a girl's making money oh, yeah. to where then you can actually buy horses and, and keep, keep going and, get, and developing assets. Yeah. I mean, growing yourself outside of just staying afloat mm-hmm. is where winning those rodeos and doing good at those things or what. Definitely helps you out. I mean, you'll look at, if you go watch the, I mean, heck, you watch Martha after winning the WCRA deal, she bought a horse, mm-hmm. got better. She won maybe the WCRA deal again, something else, bought another good horse, even better horse, got better. Like those rodeos where you win enough that you can afford to do that versus just being able to pay your fees at the next one. Right. Or what kind of, definitely help and help you get better. So you've been in Oki your whole life, right? Yes. Always been from Alva or is that just recently? Uh, just, that's where I went to college and I never left. I'm from... Where'd you grow up and what was, what was that like? What, what was roping like? What, what do you think? Cause I know you're an athlete as well. So tell me about growing up and kind of what gave you the passion you felt like roping. I grew up Northwestern Oklahoma. We never left there. Um, from Harmon, which is where the, my mom's side of the family homesteaded. That's the ranch and everything where my mom lives now. Um, I lived in Woodward. So you grew up ranching? Yeah, my dad's side rodeoed, my mom's side ranched. Um, they rodeoed too, but like the main thing was the ranch. And my dad, we lived in Woodward for a while too. Um, my dad's dad lives there, has an arena with lights. And he always had like 60 at his team roping steers. Because and... he's a big team roper yep. growing up, right? Yep. I didn't rope. I roped calves solely for the fact that I was handy enough with a rope. And it was another event you get in at the junior high and high school rodeo level. But what we did was we team rope. My dad was a horse trader, so we had 50 head of horses all the time, 60 head of team rope and steers. We had a open practices where people would come pay to practice on, I think it was Tuesdays and Thursdays growing up. It would start at 7. And my dad always said, these people didn't come here to rope with each other. They came here to rope with you guys. So we had first ones on a horse, me and my brother, last ones to get off a horse. We didn't quit roping until everybody else was done roping. And then we'd have round robins there all the time. And my dad would put on a few big jackpots. And that was the thing. If anybody asked you to rope, you said yes. You roped with everybody that asked you to rope. If you got a bad go, like a steer setup or anything like that, you don't get another one. It's not how it works at your own ropings. And so I grew up like roping a ton, but not roping calves. 
I did have a super nice calf horse when I was younger. Um, she was like a reject cutter my dad got, and she's kind of an outlaw, so I couldn't get rid of her and was a super rank little calf horse. So I was blessed to have a start out on probably one of the nicest horses I ever rode. And I never really thought I was going to be a breakaway roper. And then, um, like grew up handy with a horse cause I rode so many horses. And then I had the shoulder surgery, uh, two now, weeks. what happened to your shoulder? Overuse, headed too many steers at a young age with no, um, that's where my workout stuff came from is that they said if I would have just done some workouts for my back that I would have never had to have this surgery. It was just an overdevelopment of pec muscle in my chest and no, nothing to work out the back to kind of keep things level. So my shoulder just pulled forward, kind of collapsed on itself and it cut off circulation to my hand. It cut off the nerves to my back. So then we couldn't reverse what had happened. In two weeks before I graduated high school, they went in and took out my top rib, took out a bunch of the pec muscle, did rotator cuff surgery, said this is a, a year recovery before you'll rope, and then it's like a five-year deal before you'll ever just be as normal as you'll ever be. You'll never be better than 75%. So when I went to college, um, I had freaked out. I'd already signed a scholar, her scholarship with Stockton at Alva, and then I was like, I'm not going to build a rope. And he's like, no, it's okay. Don't freak out. You can still come to school. We'll figure it out. And, of course, he was like, I'm recruiting you to be a breakaway roper. Just so you know, I don't need an all-girl team roper. Figure it out. Yeah, he's like, "Not, don't need no all-girl team ropers. He's like, you may head outstanding, but that don't mean who's healing for you is going to heal outstanding. Mm-hmm. So he said, I need you for as a breakaway roper. And then um, it actually worked out. It was just kind of like God's plan and timing there that, um, they in rehab, they're like, I think we can get you back to swing in a breakaway loop and delivering a breakaway delivery faster than team roping. So that was my rehab and coming back was breakaway roping. What What is the difference that you feel like in a team roping swing, like a header swing, compared to when you're breakaway? Um, the breakaway swing was just kind of, it's right in front of you. It keeps everything right in front of you where the head and what they said was the issue was hanging out to the right, like hanging mm-hmm. your swing out to the right. And then coming around and delivering all off your shoulder out to the right. Where in the breakaway, if you're swinging in front of you and everything, it's the momentum carrying it and the power from your legs kind of carrying it. And like staying forward in your saddle, using your legs and all your body to deliver it, not actually throwing the rope. And uh, it was just that slight change and like hanging my arm out to the right and then keeping it in front of me that they let me come back to breakaway roping faster than they let me as you're swinging it i can see it i can see what you're talking about and so it's interesting to see like where it must be pulling when it's out beside you to where it is in front of you it's hard yeah i mean a lot of people are like really and i'm like yeah i mean just swing a head loop and then swing a break a loop Mm -hmm. like a calf loop you could see like all right i can see probably where that's it's catching that certain spot and it was just they said if i would have done rows every other day when i was a kid it never would have been an issue but we didn't catch it because Actually, the doctor I went to told me that girls don't develop enough chest muscle to have thoracic outlet. He's like, it looks like TOS, but it's not because girls don't develop enough muscle to get that. And then two years later, fighting it, I couldn't even rope a dummy by the time I had surgery on it. My arm would go numb and just feel like it was dead. Mm-hmm. And then another doctor comes in and was like, holds my arm above my head and I instantly lose my pulse. And he's like, we need to do surgery like now before you can throw a blood clot and all kinds like this could be. There was already permanent damage. I don't have issues with nerves and don't have feeling in some of my arm and stuff. But all in all, I mean, they got me fixed and they got me back going and on the right track. And 
it was a blessing in the end. Like I tell a lot of people, they're like, oh, you have to do so much to keep your shoulder good. And I was like, that happens to everybody that ropes. Everybody's going to have shoulder issues in the end. I was like, I'm just lucky that I started taking care of mine before my career started versus being at the top of my game and all of a sudden having surgery and being. So when did your, when did your workout start? Did you start after this or did, or have you always been into, into working out? It was after, uh, when I went to college, the shoulder thing, I, they told me if I don't take care of it, the same thing could happen on the next rip down. And, uh, I did what everybody does in the rodeo world. I took like five weeks off after surgery and was trying to rope again. And it, like I made a lot of, I made it way worse. I mean, way worse and hurting me real bad and stuff. And then I kind of had to back up because I was going into college and I thought I needed to do good. So I was running calves and running a lot of them and it was just making things worse. And then, um, I kind of backed up and I got into not necessarily working out so fat much, but I was doing a lot of the rehab stuff, like getting it massaged and stretched out and all this stuff. Because they had to reattach the muscles in my chest that would normally be attached to the top rib. They're now attached to my collarbone and second rib. So now there's even more pull forward. So you have to keep all this stretched back. And uh, I started out just trying to take care of it, make it feel better, not roping a bunch. And then I started working out. And I knew how to do the normal workouts, but I didn't know how to do it where it was like safe for my shoulder and stuff like that. And uh, it was actually another just good timing deal i was in the gym and i think i had kt tape on and uh a guy that was in there working out came up to me and he's like hey what happened are you like what's going on and we talked about it and he's like well i'm actually the head trainer for the defensive line on the football team he's like i'm the strength coach um do you want to work out with me in like in the regular gym he's like we'll work out every day and i'll help you adapt your workouts so that you can do them without hurting yourself and what's most beneficial and best for you and I mean, we took that by storm. We were doing two a days. I got, I mean, he helped me develop so much muscle. And we did that for like two years where he helped me and like also trying to figure out like when you could lift heavy and then when you kind of need to dial it down so that I wasn't over like sore or nothing when I was roping. And that you can rope too when you're sore. And it actually, you know, at a certain level, it doesn't affect you. Your roping shouldn't be affected by being a little body sore. <laughs> he helped me a bunch with all that and how to, you know, recover from workouts with the protein and all that stuff. Stuff I had no idea about. say because they're they're they they're almost trained scientifically. They know how to push the muscles and then the nutrition. That's another big part. I bet you learned so much probably in nutrition as oh, well. Yeah. It was a lot. And then like you know, I started getting muscle cramps, and generally <laughs> that's when I would be like, oh, I need to back off. And he helped me just the things you can do to like that your body needs when it's cramping and all this stuff. Like he helped me so much in in my college career. And then I was like, hey, I like this. So I changed my degree. I was a biology major and I changed it to health and sports science. And then that's when it really took off. I learned a whole lot. I loved that all those classes about health and sports science. I started doing a lot more research and like I kind of stopped working out with him because it was just basically growing muscle. And I started doing a lot more balance and uh, like resistance type training stuff mm -hmm. and kind of figuring out what which is extremely good for the shoulders. Yeah. That was the thing is like my shoulder was so, it was so unstabilized afterwards. And then I stayed and I did a master's in Alva in health and sports science as well, where I did any more. I did a trial where for early diagnosis on TOS where I tested a bunch of the softball players and football players and stuff. And 
Like I learned so much. You learned a lot of science, a lot of science. I did. I learned a lot. And it was all stemmed just from the shoulder injury I had. And um, I went to a amateur rodeo when I first started amateur rodeo because I didn't really do that when I was young. But I kind of started in college when I got a little bit of money together to go to some stuff outside of college rodeos. And I went to a rodeo with my neighbor. His name's Joe McCubrey. And he's had his own battles, but we were talking about, I was like, yeah, they said my shoulder will never be better than 75%. And he said, that's for the average person. He said, they ain't talking about athletes. They're not talking Mm -hmm. about you. He said, they're talking about the average person will never be better than 75%. He's like, they told me the same thing and I don't feel like I'm 75%. He's like, I feel like I'm 100%. And I was like, got a solid point there. I mean, I do believe I'm a lot too attitude when it comes to rehab. And that kind of was like the game changer for me. Like I do know I have my letdowns from this. But also, I wouldn't be the roper I am if it would never happened. Right. I may not have ever even started break by roping if mm-hmm. this didn't happen. So I don't like, I don't let it bother me much. You know, I get a lot of people that kind of feel bad for me over it, but. I, yeah, it made you who you are and put you in an event now where you're <laughs> one of the best in the world. That's pretty yeah. cool. And I, an event that I love, you know, like mm-hmm. I love team roping, but I grew up on the low side of money and like team roping I loved, but like team roping's. A tough game when you're always relying on somebody else. When you go in our team rope and you spend your last dollars and you got to win money or pay rent, that's tough not only on yourself, but then you're relying on other people. Well, and it's hard for a female to be a professional team roper. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 you know, the the great thing about team roping for a girl is it's, it allows you to go pursue another career, but you have a great hobby. You have a great outlet. But as far as roping professionally for a girl, I mean, that's what I'm, I'm being so excited to watch where Breakaway is going, where now you girls at least have two options. You can either run barrels or you can rope. Because before, it's only been one option. If yeah. you want to make it to a, if you want to be a professional athlete as a female in the rodeo, you had to run barrels. Or at least now you have opportunity to rope. But team roping is just not, it's not there. No, it's not. And uh, that's one thing, like, I never, you know, really dreamed of team roping at the NFR. That wasn't my thing because... I never thought I would be at the level that guys are, you know, like even if I did rope good enough to hang with them, I never thought I'd be at the level that to make that and then excel there. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't really my outlook. So really, whenever I got curved towards the breakaway, like I said, all the timing just lined up so perfectly with the shoulder going to college. We'll talk about another timing issue that you had was Monster. Yeah, that was. Uh, so talk talk about that. Monster was. Along along the, along these lines yeah, of where everything's it, leading to, it, you're gonna have to have something under you. Yeah, this uh, that was another. Time so tell me thing. about that horse. That was a cool story. In high school, uh, I got a horse from Siri McCaffrey, a gray horse, and I mean, this horse was like hit the line and quit running. There was no stopping, but we were gonna quit running. And I mean, I kicked butt on her. She was good, and uh, there was on some of these starts, I kind of wished I still had her, but I didn't cut my rope off. I used a full-length poly rope, and then... <laughs> so you come from a waist back. Yeah, I was reaching every one of them. And that's where I learned to reach was on this horse. And um, Monster was still young. I got him as a two-year-old. Uh, we were at a horse sale. My dad was a horse trader and an auctioneer. So generally, if he was auctioneering, I was in the back, brushing, cleaning, riding, showing, selling horses. And I was young. I was like 12. And Monster was led through the ring by an old guy starved too skinny to ride um the guaranteed him broke said they doctored wheat pasture cattle on and wasn't he a two-year-old he was two yeah and he led him through the ring nobody bit on him like i mean killers didn't even buy him he was too skinny 
So he no sell. Well, then um, he let a done through and he no sell the done too. And my dad went in the back and Monster had good papers, pretty good papers. They both did. But my dad has all those old wise tales like, you know, eyes got to be wider than a hands with the part, where the swirl's at, all those things. Talk and- about that. What, what do you mean by the swirl and where do you want it to be? <laughs> the swirl? So, so if everyone kind of knows, that's where the little, the hair kind of somewhat, if it's either by the ear or the neck or somewhere. We do the forehead. It's a little swirl. Yeah. The forehead? We do the forehead. So the swirl in the middle of the forehead. There's. So you, if you'll look at your horse, there's a little spot where the hair will come and it'll, it'll like, like a little tornado, like a little swirl. Yeah. And the, it's, you want the swirl to be right in between the eyes, um, directly in line with the eyes. And that's a good horse. And then you go one way and it's a dumb horse. And then you go the other way and he's a wild, like he's a, an outlaw. And that's not to say none of them will be good. It's just saying what, this is the old wild tale. what you're going to deal with on your way to being good is if they're dumb, good, or outlaw. And I can't remember one way or another. I just know you want them right in the middle and you don't want a narrow-eyed horse because the narrow-eyed horse has a hard time seeing. You don't want them narrow-eyed or wide-eyed. Wide eyes can't see much in front of them and narrow eyes means they're probably not very smart. These are wise tales. I remember him, I remember him growing up too. <laughs> I, I loved him though because there's, you know, it's kind of like when someone talked about whipping the line back shit out of one. Yeah. And you'll look down a lot of those horses that are kind of that way that just don't really want to take the the training or just that hard headed. And you look and see if there's a line down their back. Well, there's a reason why there's a saying about that because they have those tendencies. Yeah. It was the same thing back in those old days, kind of before I think papers kind of be, kind of became, became a thing. There was a basically a mark to where people was like, there's a reason that they would kind of go down that because a lot of it did help knowing what that horse was like. Oh, yeah. And then the thumbprint on the neck, you know, the there's a story on that, too. You can look if your horse has an indention on their neck, that means they're blessed and they're going to be good ones and bring blessings to your life and stuff like that. And Do you know many people are going to be looking for this now? I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I love it. And I believe in all of it, you know, to a certain degree, I don't think because a horse don't have it. But if you notice, a lot of good horses do have these qualities. And Monster, he checked the boxes. He had the swirl. He had good set eyes. He had a thumbprint in his neck. And a. You said he had a good set of papers, too. What What was he bred like? Do you remember? No. He's a. That was the sad thing about it is um, so my dad was a horse trader. We didn't put nothing in our names nothing stayed around very long the only our good horses we kept were because they were so bad we couldn't get rid of them and then they ended up being awesome horses but that was how we ended up keeping them was that we they weren't worth it to resell and Mm -hmm. monster his papers were kept in the we obviously didn't keep good horses papers in the truck but my dad had a portfolio that he took to all the sales with him that had all this sell horses papers in them and somebody broke into the truck at a horse sale and stole that book and monster's papers were in it he was not putting our name. Don't. And he, I called after I won second at the American on him and won. I won like 100000 on him that year. And I was like, he deserves papers. And the QHA was just like, basically have no chance of getting them back. You'll spend a lot of money and a lot of time and probably never get them. Dang it. I know. But he was two. My dad went in the back alley and was like, hey, what would you sell him for? Bought him for 200 bucks. And he's like, he came and found me. He's like, I got something you're going to want come look at this one. And I looked at him and I was like, absolutely not. I was like, I don't want that thing. And at this time, I'm young. And my job, my career at 12 was I was a pony trainer, pony breaker. So Monster, we keep him around because he's got to get fat enough where you can resell him. And he finally kind of gets fat enough and the guys can't catch him. So I catch him. And then he's little bitty. He's tiny. So nobody's big and er, nobody's small enough to ride him. So they throw me on him. And the sucker 
will lope a straight line and drag his butt, and that is all he will do. If a horse, if somebody else riding a horse gets in with 20 feet of him, this sucker is stopping and going another way. If my dad tries to walk up to me, he's leaving. And I was like, I need him. He's mine. So I actually traded. Did he develop kind of almost a a fear of men? Men. Yeah, terrified of men, and he's still that way now. But I uh, traded my career earnings, my childhood earnings of pony riding, a lot of ponies, I think we took 13 to a sale one time, and I rode all of them for this $200 horse. And what my dad got at the time got the good end of that deal. And then Monster just hung around. Uh, we didn't really do a halt like he was tiny, and then he hung his foot in a feeder, almost cut his foot off. He was turned out for a year. We went to pick him up. And we couldn't find him. You're starting to question those swirls on his forehead. I know. He was in the, <laughs> found him in the neighbor's pasture. He was laid open from his throat latch all the way down to his ankles. He had ran into the six-wire fence and didn't run through it, but he ran into it and flipped over it and just laid himself open. So I was like, when we got him, he'd gotten strangles and almost died and all this. And I was like, I'm just going to start riding him because he's going to keep trying to die. So I just rode him with no breast collar on because he had cuts all the way down his front. And just we just tortured him. My brother actually took him to college with him as a, and headed on him as a practice horse. And like, this is a little bitty tiny sucker. They're supposed to be healing on him. Hmm. And he comes back and never had a steer healed on him. But I've heard stories about the amount of steers they headed on him. And we'll say he's a good little head horse. He will get a hold of one and go to town. But, I mean, this horse is like, no, like I can rest my arms on him and lean over the top of him little. Have you have you put a stick on him? He is, is like he 14? two inches over pony. I can't even remember what. I think that's, is it 13? So he's still in the 13s? Yeah. Right at not even 13 hands. 14. He's little. People don't realize it when they watch him on TV because he's built like a horse and he strides like a horse, but he's a little. Yeah. But my getting back from my brother and when I went to the actual the game changer on Monster was I went to my senior year of high school. I went to a clinic. Kelsey and Jackie were in Cherokee, Oklahoma. And I went to this clinic because I hadn't been able to rope because I'd broken my thumb down in my hand. So I wasn't able to rope for a while. And I was coming back and hadn't been able to run anything for a You and months. Monster are somewhat similar on yeah. the fact both of you guys are hard to keep sound. We were, yeah. Oh, I was <laughs> I was as a kid. I was. I was always. It's hurt. funny how some horses and personalities do match up. They just match. I know. I took the gray horse there and they helped me a bunch with her because she was finished what I was riding on. And then I took Monster. I think Kelsey might have even. She ran one maybe on the gray horse, but I was just screwing around on Monster. He'd never been out of the box. And I roped one going down the arena and stopped him. And Jackie was like, I like, I like that horse. And she asked me all about him afterwards and stuff. And then that's kind of what was like, this could, this could be, you know, he could make one. And when I went to college, I started, that's when I really kind of started trying to getting good. And William Wayne was a student coach there at the time. And he helped me a ton with him. Like, cause I'd never not roped on a horse. I didn't know nothing about starting a breakaway horse other than I knew what a good one felt like from the Marriott Road when I was younger. And he helped me a ton with him. And I was still riding the gray mare. I tried to ride monster at some college rodeos. I broke the barrier, every single one of them. I'd get back on the gray mare and make the short round. And then before Fort Scott, Kansas, they have a jackpot. And I took monster and the gray mare. Shelby Weeder, the rodeo coach. Um, she wasn't actually even coaching yet. She was in her master's at Goodwill. And she s- picks my rope up and she swings it. And she's like, how long is this thing? She's like, did you even cut it off? And I was like, no. She's like, why not? And I was like, I don't know. And then I run one on the gray and she's like, never mind. I know why. I know why. I know why you don't cut it off. And that 
Gray was bad that Jack. I mean, every run just dying off at the barrier. Monster was outstanding. I placed in every round, placed an average. And she's like, you don't start riding that bay horse everywhere you go. She's like, you're stupid. And then I rode Monster at that rodeo. I sent the gray horse home so I wouldn't ride her. I sent her back to the ranch so I wouldn't ride her. And I rode Monster. Continued to break the barrier everywhere till the last college rodeo of the year. And then um, it was in a downpour, sloppy mud. and. I make the short round, win the short round, second and average, and then all of a sudden it was just like set. And then that found was when, it. Yep. Found the groove. And then after that college rodeo, it was just, after that, I mean, Monster was my confidence. Mm-hmm. You know, on that horse, you couldn't, you couldn't hardly deter me. And then college rodeo the next year. How much of that was growing pains of you and Monster trying to find a groove or... Was it different timing, do you think, from the gray horse to that horse? Because that's where I think so many kids and, and, and ropers struggle was, you know, that timing of when that left hand goes and when they go. You know, some shoot right off your hand and some's delayed. Yeah. And it takes a lot. That's, that seems where some of the, the hardest things is to kind of find that groove is that start because that is what sets up the run. Yeah, it was. What was the difference, do you think, between them two horses? It was across the line. That gray would just like, I mean, she was one of those ones when the gates open. She was pretty much going and you were just pulling. Got it. And then uh, I still, I mean, that was my deal growing up. People all the time in college were like trying so hard to get me to sit still and score instead of float. And I floated. Monster is one of the, I mean, the best horses ever, I think, at floating across the line. And like being able to pull him off the ground and then hit the ground and be running and like be so good at it. But the gray was just different. She was slow and like flat and level never was going to go like hit never was going to go any faster than she left the corner so that, that that and what a lot of people don't realize too is that's a real good type of horse to be able to get that first swing up and reach yeah because those flat ones that are maybe even a little bit slower too let you use your rope yeah she was where those ones that can run yeah. and that are sharp and it's it's almost harder to reach that way because you're using your horse yeah. not your rope she was easy to stay with like to ride or you could pull and then come drop right back down on top of her and use that 30-foot breakaway Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then where I struggled with Monster was that, like, it, sometimes when I did pull, if I tried to beat him back to the ground, then he was strong enough and quick enough that then we were just, like, I was compared it to a monkey humping a football. Mm-hmm. That's what it looked like. like the timing and the balance. I the was balance hitting the was front off of the and... saddle and then the back of the saddle. And when I'd yeah. want to throw, I was at the back instead yeah. of at the front. And um, that was the biggest issue. And that was the issue, I mean, like, I carried all the way through college if sometimes I'd try to, because then I brought the yellow horse which is when we raised, and the same thing, I brought him to college the next year, started him myself from the ground, still not knowing So is that Ray, that the one you have now? Yes. So you've had Ray since since college as well? Yep. Monster and Ray were turned out together as a two-year-old and a yearling, and they've not ever I'll be dang. I didn't know that. Part. Yeah, those two, uh, that's what's crazy is I feel like I'm one of the few people that can say they've rode the same two horses their entire, my entire career, was started on those two, and I'm still riding those two and making the finals on them. Which is super cool. And that those two have, I mean, those two are like brothers. It's yeah. crazy how good those horses go together and how good I got at knowing both those horses. But Ray came along and he sucked. He was so terrible. He does every single event except for Bulldog. And the only reason he does every event is because he was so bad at every event. I was trying to find something he was going to be good at. Do. And he all of a sudden, it was just like one day he... Light came on. Yeah, we rode him at a college rodeo, and he got 12 runs in four different events between the breakaway, oh, five different events, breakaway, tie down, go tie and head and healing. And it was just like, 
this sucker's good at everything. And, uh, but he's real flat. I mean, score, he'll trot to the line of the calves trot and he'll stop at the barrier. I mean, like, and then just flat. And I mean, throw your whole rope. And he doesn't ever make a excessive move. A calf ducks left and he pretty much, he's going to switch leads and go left, but he's not going to make a move that throws you out in the stir. He's going to just let you use your rope and get to the left. Same thing with going right. He's just easy. So then I go from this little quick horse that's given me 120% and then to this horse that's given 75%, which both have their benefits. There's a strategy to that. Yeah. I mean, both horses fit different different setups. Yeah. And uh, so then it was just kind of the battle of not only was I new to it and both them new to it, and then we're all learning together. Learning together. And I, like I tell people, I lucked out the two horses. The first two horses I started happened to be awesome. I mean, both are just rock solid in the box, and I could ride them any setup on any score and have 100% confidence in them. But those two horses, yeah. So you had those through college? Yeah. And then what was your last year of college? What year was that? Uh, COVID was my master's year of rodeo. And then when did you win the, the nation in the college finals? Was that 19? 19. 19. So in 2020, you were still in college? Yes. Uh, so you had a pretty good 2019 year, if I remember right. You bought your card? Uh, PRCA, like yeah, your breakaway card? Yeah. That was, uh, yes. The 2019, I won the college finals. They went to Reno, won Reno, uh, the BFI. And uh, so that basically made me the first ever person to qualify for the American in the breakaway because that was the first ever qualifier. Mm -hmm. And then the next day I went to another open in Nevada, got my second spot for the American. And that was the BFI. That was the first open breakaway, like a real big open breakaway Mm -hmm. I ever went to. And And won it. Actually, that was 2018, though. I won the BFI in 2018. So, yeah, Mm. bought my card in 2019. And it just kind of trickled down. It was all super fast for me because, like, I'd never done anything, never rodeoed. I made the college finals. And in 2018, that was the first year I made the college finals. I broke the arena record at the college finals. And one around, that was the only calf I caught. (laughs) It's counted. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Until Whitney DeSalvo went the next perf and rebroke my arena record. I was... So that was a little bit of a heart heartache there. And then we... (laughs) That does. That's... Yeah. We hauled to the BFI together after that. That's and funny. she had that, you get to go around a ring for winning the go round, and she had it sit on the dash. And I was like, you're going to make me look at that the whole way, aren't you? <laughs> I was like, I broke the arena record and didn't even win the round. <laughs> that does suck. <laughs> that know. does suck. And uh, so we go to the BFI. It was great. Um, yeah, the BFI was great to me. I won the BFI, qualified from American Whitney, wins the team open. Next day, I qualify my second spot in the breakaway, and then we head home, and we break down, and we spend a week in Kingman, Arizona with no vehicle. But we get home, and then that's what—I got to go to the American that year, and it just set everything in motion. When the American treated me good— You won second in the American? Yep. I won second in the American, won the most money by—I can't even tell you. Well, the And this is your junior year in college? Yep. And you started pretty much breakaway, and you said in college, more or less? So you're basically three years in the breakaway, and, yeah. and you've won the BFI. You've set a, the record for a perf, yeah, for one perf. <laughs> at the college finals. And then by 19, you won the college national finals and then won second the American. Like, yeah, I would say an athlete for sure. Yeah. That's not easy to – in three years, that's phenomenal. Yeah, and it just 
It was so good to me. And then, yeah, the year, the first year they had the NFR was 2020. And I think I was like 20, ended up being 22nd, which I didn't go to some, I didn't rodeo a lot. So I still thought. Because you're still in college too. And that was an odd year. Yeah. It was such a weird year. And was there a college finals? No. So your last year, you didn't even get to go to the college finals? No. No. Uh, That was such a bummer too, because that's what I. Yeah, you won it the year before. Yeah, I won it the year before, and I was so excited. My deal was I was college rodeoing on the yellow that year, my master's year, and I was going to make the finals, college finals on the yellow, and ride him in the college finals because I was going to win the college finals back-to-back on two different horses was the plan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, they kind of shut it all down in the middle there, and I didn't know what to do with myself. Breakaway had consumed me. They started having these, uh, I went several of these, I don't know if they did in Texas, they had drive-up ropes, time slots. Yeah. I think in Texas, a lot of them, they did those video ropings. There were some team ropings that way. The drive-up slots? So they Well, not the drive-up slots, but you could team rope on your phone. Oh, Like videos. you could video your phone. You would set up the four steers, put the barrel up there, and you had to film the whole time. That's what- It was so funny, the amount of people, because I was doing a lot of lessons in as well, and they're like, hey, how do you get over being camera shy? <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, I've you got the, the same four steers I rope at home all the time, but when I, turn, when I push record on my camera, I can't catch any of them. It was so funny. He said, I've lost, what do you say? Like, I've lost like $600 oh my God. <laughs> today on the same four steers. I just kept entering and kept entering. I couldn't catch them. It That's, was funny. It was pretty interesting that. how people I think Martha started which, team roping at that time. Martha kicks butt at any jackpot setup, but I think she did a bunch of those video breakaway ropings. I didn't do any of those, but we did some drive up. So it'd be like a time slot mm-hmm. in this rope and they'd set up time slots and like, 10 people would be in each time slot. You'd show up in your time. You would, they'd give you 10 minutes to warm up, show up saddle, 10 minutes to warm up. You run all three of your calves and then you leave. Mm -hmm. And then the next set of people come in. And I went to some of those, which is, I was getting a rope and getting to enter, but like that, there's no way of like mentally, like you're not the challenge. Not sparring. Yeah. You're not watching other people rope. You're not. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was hard. Like, it was hard if you were at the first to kind of, like, push yourself. And then if you're at the end, you kind of knew what you needed to do. And I didn't like that. And then it could definitely say that by the end of that COVID, the the craving I had to run well, cattle was very intense. Because Alla didn't shut down that much. That's the thing either. Like, where we were at, it was pretty normal. I mean, we had freedom here. Yeah. You know, Oklahoma, Texas, we were free. You know, I remember we kind of went through that for a couple of weeks. And then after that, no one believed it. I mean, you know, are they seen masks? We, you know, it was nobody wore masks. Uh, you restaurants were not allowed to let people sit inside, but they could use patio seating and they could still do pickup. But like our stores and stuff, like you could go into the bank and stuff and you didn't have to wear masks. School was all online, but that was another Mm -hmm. piece that was the bigger people doing. And but like, yeah, we didn't a lot, a whole lot didn't change. Our Western industry here where we were at, it was, uh, yeah, it was so much different than everybody else. It was fun. Uh, well, it wasn't fun, but we we it shut down. Everything shut down in the middle of a college rodeo. We were at Fort Scott, mm. Kansas, at a college rodeo, and they shut it down before the short round. And I think I was making the short round or something, and they shut it down. I was with my best friend and Holland partner, Michaela Mack, and they shut it down. And so, you know, everybody goes to the bar and, you know, it's into the world. Everybody goes to parties. And then uh, the next morning, we get up, or I get us up at like 6 a.m. and haul butt to Oklahoma to a jackpot on Saturday. Because I was like, this 
probably the last jackpot we'll ever get to go to or mm-hmm. go to for a long time because they're shutting everything down. And they're like, we're still going to have this reopen. We'll shut down afterwards. So, yeah, they shut the cut us out of the college rodeo, wouldn't let us reopen the short round. So we just hightailed it the next morning to a jackpot and went and entered up as much as we could in the breakaway. And then, yeah, that was the last reopen I got to go to until after, other than the drive up ones until after COVID. So you graduated in 20 right. and then in 21, yeah. you started trying to make the NFR? No, I graduated. So my first year master's, it was like a two-year program, but I did it in a year. But it was it was a little over a year. I did it in the, was it, was, I did one full year and then had to do a summer, an extra summer of classes or something like that. And yeah, that first year, our summer, I did had to write 36 papers that first year in the summer while I was rodeoing. And, uh, in 2021? And that was, the determination was killer. Luckily, my teachers and everything, it was supposed to be a lot more than 36 papers, but they let me cut it down to 36 papers. And that was, that was rough, but I'm really glad I did it. I'm glad I felt super accomplished to do that, to get my master's. Like I said, I got something to fall back on Mm -hmm. that I like, that I love, that's health and sports science, the training and stuff like that. Something I really enjoy and I could see myself doing it. Obviously, I love rodeo more, but if it ever come to it. Yeah, backup plan is always nice to have. Yeah. That's what I said. I'd, I'd rather be overqualified for a job than not be able to qualify for a job. Yeah, that for I sure. Want. Especially where it's, you know, it's uh, what you've studied is helping you with what you're doing. And then it also helps you as an athlete and as a competitor. Yeah. And it's super cool to see, Um, like, when I first started doing all this, it was, I don't know, it was kind of like I was almost... Not necessarily embarrassed because I was super proud of the fact that I worked out and took care of my body, but then also kind of embarrassed when like everybody was like, let's go get a beer like early or brunch or something like that. I'm like, I gotta gotta work out out before I can do that. And that like, I kind of fought that being like, I don't want to be that person. But now it's super cool because so many people, I'm talking specific to Breakaway. I know other events too do it, but like this year in the Breakaway Rodeo and how many people are also doing things like working out and doing things to better themselves that mm-hmm. the first year I couldn't find anybody mm-hmm. that was doing it. And now it's like that movement started and it's super cool to see. And I've tried to do my best. I mean, I've helped several people not saying I'm the best person to ask for help, but I'm always willing to help if mm-hmm. they want help with it. But now it kind of makes you, it honestly pushes me more now because now other people are working out. So I'm like, I got to do more. Yeah, I remember when I was watching you and Jackie spar up here in the gym. That was pretty good watching. <laughs> yeah, once in a while, me and Jackie have to go head to head. So <laughs> I made her, I make her do actual weightlifting workouts that she doesn't like, and then she makes me do. I don't even know what those things are called, but they're body weight. A little more cardio. They're terrible. I hate it. <laughs> Which is honestly what I mostly a lot of what I'm doing now. Um, I got a trainer now. I started this summer with a trainer. Because I know I can lift weight and I can outlift a lot of girls, but I never felt like super strong in my core and stable. Like my shoulder has always been kind of like not real stable and solid feeling. So I started working out with a trainer and modified all my workouts to mobility and stability and like little muscles and my core and stuff like that. And that's helped a ton. And those workouts, they're you can do them anywhere. And I don't want, like, I don't want to say they're easy workouts, but they're... Like, that's what people think when they see them. And then you do them, and they're not easy. They're so hard, and they're so much, it takes so much mental toughness to do them and get through them because you just want to quit. For me, anyways, yeah. I could lift weights for two hours straight, and then I do one of these things, and it should only take me like an hour and 15 minutes, and I hate every minute of mm-hmm. it. 
Yeah, it's almost like the cold water plunge. It's amazing what uh, what demons and what battles mm-hmm. in your mind you can deal with when there's working out and everything in your mind is telling you to stop. Yeah. Everything. And what, to me, like rodeoing as long as I did, there was a lot of times where you're battling that, you know, the the mental strength of being able to lose and constantly lose and then just like keep pushing through it and keep pushing through it till you find it. And there's a lot to that mental strength. How much of your fitness do you think that you felt like when you used to rope when you weren't training all the time to when you're roping now have you have you felt a difference in in your roping your balance and your strength and things like that or is it a lot mentally oh no yeah or both there it's both for sure from especially for me because i had you know the all the demons and stuff of like fighting my head and stuff and in the gym i could kind of like let out all those frustrations and i could beat them into submission like lifting and stuff and i've gotten past most of that where that's not necessarily what my workouts are for anymore but now it's more so now i'm modified to the my mental game's pretty solid there mm-hmm. now with where i'm at but now my workouts are more for actually feeling like i don't i noticed like there for a while with the colonel which is the sorrel horse i have now like leaving me in the box and not getting to the front of him I'm like i'm not used to having a horse that can beat me and me not be able to get back to the front of and that horse does, so he's really kind of made me take into account, like, letting him beat me out of the box and then not be able to get back to the front missing an easy calf is just not acceptable. So then now that's where, like, I've noticed this stuff's helped me so much. And if anybody's watched me rope this winter, I feel like from the finals on, you've been able to see how good I'm staying with him. And, I mean, this is the third year of owning him. I'd never broke too flat. And then I'd maybe been too flat on him twice, ever. And then at the finals, I was too flat on him pretty much back-to-back, and then I've broke the two-second barrier on him like nine times now just since the finals that's awesome so i mean it's there's got to be something to say for Mm -hmm. what it's doing for me in my core and getting with my horse out of the box now what was the first year you made the nfr for the breakaway it would have been so 2021 yeah 21 and then where was it at in 2021 the no the orleans it was there yes it was at the orleans the first year they had it in vegas and yeah, Monster got hurt that year, and then uh, so I had to ride the Sorrel. He was green. I'd rode him all year to make. So you had years, gotten but... you'd gotten Colonel before your first NFR. Yes. Was I... it what was like your American and your BFI and the stuff like that that you'd won then? Is that what was able to help you financially get another horse, or how did how did Colonel fall in your lap? Yeah, um, yeah, that's another miracle story. But like I say, I say my uh, Monster is the horse that built everything. The place I have bought the truck, bought the trailer. And everything. And then a uh, colonel was a horse that was sent to me by a good friend um, to ride because he wanted to sell him. And he thought he'd bring good money as breakaway horses are high. He was a heel horse, but he thought he'd bring more mo- sell easier as a breakaway horse. So he brought him to me and I rode him a little bit. And I was like, I really think you need to let me keep him, ride him, show him, hauling him wise. And the sucker will bring some money, like a lot of money. And when the guy brought him for me to try to see if I wanted to ride him, I couldn't even lope him in a circle. Like, I was trying to lope him in a circle. And the more, like, I tried to relax and melt into him because I felt I kept putting pressure on him. The sucker was switching leads and all over the place. Like, he was just too broke. And I roped some on him and it went good. And luckily, he left left him with me. And I kept him for, I think it was like six months. And somebody was coming to try. And I called him and I said, they, I rode him at the Wendy Ryan and uh, another roping. Like kind of the two big ropings I'd ever, biggest ropings I'd ever taken him to, and he was outstanding. 
and like some big names were asking about him and I was like I called him on the way home and I said they can't try him I'm gonna buy him I'm gonna figure it out I don't know what I'm gonna do but I'm gonna buy him and he gave me like I got a good deal on that horse for what he is I mean he was worth so much more than what I put into him but I got some help from the banker and stuff like that and stuff that Normally, like I tried and tried, I did everything I could think of to get this horse bought, and it was like a last ditch effort. And they were like, "Yes, we will help you do it." You know, ensure him do the things. And this is a green horse, not even proven yet. And the most money I'd ever spent on a horse by the most expensive horse I'd ever bought was thirty five hundred. Right. <laughs> leading up to this horse. And what year was that? That was twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty one. So the year you're making Yennefer. Yep, I bought him at the Woodward Rodeo, my hometown rodeo. Hometowner. I bought him there and I rode him. I think that was his first pro rodeo and I rode him at it. And then um, I rode him all summer. As Monster, I tried to take it out there and I don't know if he just wasn't taken to the hauling or what was going on if he'd already started an injury. But I sent, it, sent him home. Some people helped me get him home and Colonel was all I had. And that he like he was green. Like I said, I'd been to a couple of opens, but I seasoned him rodeoing on him. Now, where was the yellow at this time? The yellow was out there. I was riding him. Okay. So both of them. Uh, I ended up riding both of them. Yeah, I had the yellow brought out to me for uh, the end of the year in Pendleton and stuff. And then at the end of the year, like when the cattle get bad, that yellow was outstanding on bad cattle. And then I rode him at Pendleton and that's, I made the finals on him at Pendleton. And the, that's something else people don't realize is the most money I've won on a horse all three years I've made the finals has been that yellow horse. He's the grunt work horse that gets the little fame, little claim to fame, but he's the one that does all the, the trenches. He's all, yeah, all the heavy lifting is him. But we get back home and Monstrous Sound, and I ride him at the circuit finals. He's outstanding at riding. So in 2021, at the end of the year, you got the uniform made. All three of them are all sound. All three sound, yes. And so, what was your rodeo rig like in 2021? What were you rodeoing in? We we drove seven, seven trailers and 11 pickups we broke down everywhere i went and not just down that's not that's not counting how many times the same vehicle broke down that's different vehicles that broke down yeah it was we were all over the place i had a i had a ford 250 and a stock combo trailer and that was all i had luckily at the end of the year i started hauling or in the middle of the year i started home with sam who samantha fulton samantha fulton yes and uh like, she just kind of took me in, and that's my, my joke is that uh, all I had then was personality, and that's all she got on the bill was a good personality. And then... What I thought was really cool, because I knew what your rig was when you'd come out here and stay in the stock yeah. trailer and stuff. What I like, though, was the fact, for one, you made it without all that expensive stuff. You figured out how to be successful on hard work, determination, passion, and freaking figuring it out. Yeah. You didn't have to have all the big rigs and the shiny stuff and, and all the money. Like, you figured it out on your own. But what I liked is the fact that you invested your assets in horses. Because if you don't have horses, you ain't winning shit. Yeah. You can figure it out a little bit rig-wise and how to get there, especially when you're a good person like you are. But, like, some of the guys win money and they go get a good rig and they got nothing in the dang trailer. And their careers go short. Yeah. Real fast. That was, um, I knew, I've seen that a bunch and, like, I didn't grow up. I didn't grow up with a nice rig. Um, we always had nice horses, though. And, like, that was not something. Honestly, people all the time ask me about, like, uh, Jackie took me in a whole bunch a lot of that time when I didn't have a rig. Like, I'd stay here at y'all's place every time I came down. And I think I stayed 
upstairs in the apartment, on the couch, in Creed's room, in Cheyenne's room, in the bus, and in the trailer on different occasions. Like I remember was, I was on the phone with her one time. She's like, Muscle, what are you doing? I'm going to go take a nap in the, in the truck. <laughs> Bull crap. She's like, get your ass in the dang bus. And I'm like, what? Is that Muscle sleeping in a truck? And she's yeah, I told her to get in the damn bus. <laughs> yeah, I would sleep in my truck all the time. <laughs> and uh, it didn't never phase me. Like, that's. I've done it too. I yeah. mean, it's just what I did. You're rodeoing. Yeah, I knew I couldn't afford like a pickup payment more than what I had. Living and within your means my deal, and trying to make it. Yeah. My deal was always a, and it's cool after listening to some of your other podcasts with some of the older style team rappers, like how they talk about the connections they used to make and people don't make those as much now because we're just phones and, you know, you got all this. It's so much easier now. You don't have to have as many people helping you, which wasn't the case for me. I had to have somewhere to stay almost everywhere I went, somewhere to keep horses. And like, I met so many good people that like would take me in and let me stay at their place or stay in the, in it, stay in the rig and all this because I didn't have a rig to just go as soon as I roped. I didn't just go get my trailer and not. I mean, if I was at a rodeo and it took all day, I sit outside all day talking to people and stuff because I didn't have a trailer to go sit in. Um, not that that's bad, but that was just, I do it now because I got a trailer, but. Mm-hmm. Just in like the connections I made, I made so many, and I loved that. Yeah, connections, and networking, people, and people I got to meet, and you know, I loved the whole outside of just making the runs. Like I like, I love the rodeo atmosphere. I love all the people in it, and outside of also just the breakaway ropers, that's the thing all the time. Is like I hang out with so many of the guys at the rodeos, the bulldog, Bulldoggers. team rope, and rope calves. Mm-hmm. Outside of just like this little knit people that are beneficial for me in the breakaway roping world and that's kind of crazy to everybody i mean like bulldoggers are cool too on how much i'll always see a couple of them show up when you guys are at the when you guys are roping oh yeah they're making sure that you guys need to push need to need to clean the box out and level it out grab their heads whatever like oh yeah they're 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 solid dudes man they're some of my favorite guys and the cool thing about them they always know where the beer tent is. They do always know where it's at or where the cooler's at. Yeah. And I will say- And full. The cooler, it's usually full. The cooler that we're like Bulldogs only at Reno, I was inducted in. I got Love a drink it. out of that cooler this year. Love it. <laughs> and I didn't have to sneak them. They actually invited me. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I've had Bulldogs come pick me up, like drive an hour and a half to pick me up from yep. the airport at rodeos. I mean, Solid dudes. Like I have made so many connections with such a- broad group of people Mm -hmm. and it's i love that and that was because i didn't have you know i didn't have the rig and that's what i kind of when me and sam rode it that first year she flew into denver and i picked her up in my trailer pick up trailer and she hadn't really we hadn't went anywhere together and we had to go to lovington stuff and lovington texas and or new mexico in the middle of summer hot and we're driving and the ac just goes out my truck and she's like i don't think the ac is working i was like oh yeah just Start banging down there. Tap, it'll just it'll come it. back on. Tap it. Don't be nice to it. It'll come back on if you kick on it hard enough. And it was funny because then the next year I was here, I bought a, I did, bought a dually pickup. So then the next year I was like, now Sam, you get my personality and a pickup that can pull a trailer. And then the next <laughs> and the year, AC, yeah, and an AC. And then the next year I bought a living quarter trailer. So then I had personality, a pickup, and a trailer we could stay in. Yeah, it was like just went so fast. That's cool though. That's a heck of a story, and like what hard work does and. I, I love your attitude because I love I love one of your sayings. It is what it is. Let's run another one. Yeah, it is what it is. Let's run another one. I yeah. mean, that's the way I was not necessarily raised, but the way I come up once I was on my own in college was, you know, I was super hard on myself, which that was from how I was raised. And then once I realized that there's more calves, 
And then I got where if you rope good enough and you're a good enough person, people will help you to run another one. You know, the greatest story that I think that defines like my rodeo career that everybody just like shakes their head out or didn't just can't understand is that the first time they had San Juan and they had the breakaway and it was invitational only jackpot, the 10,000 added. Um, Jackie won it, riding gangster. So all of the breakaway ropers that get invited from Texas and this area, they invited 20 girls, 10 each day. They all go up to the Northern Breakaway Championship and team roping and then come to San Juan. And I was broke. So I go to an amateur rodeo the night before my flight. The a judge has a heart attack in the arena, makes this amateur rodeo go for hours. I get home, it's like 4 a.m. or it's 2.30 or 3 or something like that. I have to fly my flights at like 7 a.m. and it's two and a half hours to the airport. I've never been on a plane before, never been to an airport before. I borrow my sister's car. I drive like 90 all the way to Oklahoma City to get on this plane. I'm running through the airport. They're calling my name over the speakerphone. And I get on the plane, make it, get to the airport, don't realize it's 45 minutes from the arena. And I go to get an Uber. There's $70. I have $260 in my bank account and I have nowhere to stay. So I'm like, I can't get paid this much for an Uber. How am I going to eat and find a place to sleep? So I just sit outside on the curb. And after like an hour, another guy comes out and he's in a cowboy hat. He's talking to me and we chat for a while. And I was like, hey, are you going to the arena? He's like, yeah. And I was like, you want to get an Uber and split it? And he was like, oh no, I got somebody picking me up. Survival skills. Yeah. and That's what you learn rodeo. I know. I was like, I got somebody picking me up. And I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, you need a ride? And I was like, that'd be cool. Sure do. And he was a flank man working for a stock contractor and he had the bullfighter come and pick him up. So it was like me and it was like three team ropers and him and they all squish four deep in the back seat and let me ride in the front by myself. And then we get there and they're like, where do we need to drop you off? And we get to the arena. I was like, right here is good. Drop me off. No idea. I don't know nobody. I have nowhere to go. I look up hotel rooms. They're all 30 minutes away and like $300 a night. Can't afford them. So it's like, shoot. I go on the draw and I look at the draw. And all those girls that I know from Texas are up the next day because they're coming from the other roping. And I'm also not up to the next day, but that was the only flat I could get. So the only name I semi-know on there is Aaron Johnson. And we're talking about this at San Antonio. And I was like, that's the only person I even know the name. So I get a hold of her on Facebook and I was like, hey, can I hang out with y'all for a little while? She's like, well, I got my kids as long as you don't hang mind hanging out with kids. I was like, oh, no, definitely don't. I'll do whatever. So <laughs> I'll I, babysit him if yeah, I need to. I throw my bags in their trailer. They We go down to the ocean. My first time ever to the ocean. They take me to the ocean. I play with the kids on the beach. They buy me tacos. They're probably feeling bad for me at this point. We get back to the arena and then it's like the rodeos in the middle of the day there. Yeah. So we go to the rodeo and... Um, I was supposed to be riding Lindsay Sumner's horse and something happened and she didn't get him brought out there. So she has to borrow a horse and she lets me know like, hey, my horse isn't going to be here. And I'm like, crap, I don't know what I'm going to ride now. And we're at the beer tent talking and Caddo Llewellyn's like, why didn't you go up to North or wherever that rope is up North? And I was like, I couldn't afford it. I couldn't even hardly afford to come here. He's like, well, he's like, people will pay your fees if you'll go in or like for halves. I mean, like you rope good enough. And I was like, oh, well, and he's like, well, what are your fees here? And I was like, you don't want to pay my fees here. I don't even know what I'm riding. He's like, well, how about this? Ride my horse. He's like, instead of paying your fees, ride my horse. He's like, Tuff's already riding tomorrow, so you can just jump on her after he ropes on her. And then, you know, like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, who ride the same horse Tuff Cooper rides? Like, just mind-blowing to me because mm-hmm. I've never been to a pro rodeo at this point, never even went to watch one. And 
So they take me in. I still don't have a place to stay this night. These people, the, their daughter wants second behind me at the BFI, and they love me for some reason. She's like, oh, you don't have nowhere to stay. Come stay in our trailer. And so they let me stay with them. The next day we get up. It all goes good. I ride that horse. I win. I think I ended up winning fourth. It was like Jackie LD and somebody all in gangster. And then me maybe winning fourth. And then that night, I have nowhere to go again to stay the night. My flight's the next morning. And Jackie's like, what are you doing? You want to go with us? Because they were going down south to drop LD and Hope off. And I was like, no, it's all good. She's like, well, if you don't know like nothing to do, come with us. We're going to go down there, eat on the water and all this stuff. And so I go with them. And Jackie's like, where are you staying? Like, what are you doing? I was like, I fly out in the morning. I don't have nowhere to stay or a way to get to the airport. And Jackie's like, oh, my gosh. She's like, well, I got a rental car, so just come with us, and then I'll just change my room to double beds. And this is the first time I've ever hung out with Jackie outside of the clinic I went to. And we go down, we drop, we go eat on the ocean, and Jackie finds out I've never been to the water. So her and Hope are just bound and determined that we're going in. Bully clothed, we run out into the ocean. Wave hits us. I come up. The next thing I see is Jackie's feet sticking straight up in the air. <laughs> She's somersaulting in the water. It was the most fun night. Y'all were in full dress code, if I remember right. No, we weren't in dress clothes, but we were in jeans. I mean, we were in jeans and shirts and like had no other clothes with us. No, so I remember her doing that somewhere in full. Oh, maybe it was, it was yeah, I think it was Reno. She, she did it. In they, yeah, dress I think code. one of their first trips out there in Reno, they did good and they went out there on the water, full dress code. Oh, yeah. Jackie was just yeah. like, we're going in. And I was like, no, we're not. And she's like, yeah, we are. Yeah. Jackie uh, bought all of our dinner because she was the big winner. She won like 10 grand or something. And then, um, we get them, we do that, and that's just like, that was kind of like the, that trip was like the life-changing trip for me. And then we dropped them off, and on the way home, like, we kind of talked, and like, Jackie was the first person I ever told, like, about, you know, she was just asking normal questions, but usually I found a way to dodge them, but like, about my dad being in prison at the time, and everything like, that was going on and stuff, and Jackie just never made me feel weird or nothing about it. She just like, talked, and then it was just normal. And like, I always told her, I said, I feel bad for doing these podcasts, because I mean, she truly should be. Because yeah. she is so good with questions. She's so good at getting to know people. Yeah. And there's no judgment. No, no, you know, no. That was one of the most attractive things, like when her and I first started hanging out, was just um, like one of the conversations that we would have, just so easy to open up. You could talk to her. Yeah. And there's She's no just judgment. so easy. And then, uh, yeah, she took me back and uh, we stayed in the hotel room. She dropped me off at the airport the next morning. We and went. you guys are both from the same, you know, being in Oklahoma Area, yeah. and everything Area. like that. And kind of the same upbringing and the fact, too, like, she didn't have that rodeo rig and all that stuff yeah, growing up. So. I know. That's what it's cool to kind of, you know, have her as a mentor and stuff and now as a great friend. But I flew home and the best thing about the whole story when everybody hears about it is I want enough money to pay my fees, my plane ticket, my mount money. And that was it. I broke even. But that was the run that everybody's like, how did you do that? How did you fly out there with no money, nowhere to stay, no horse to ride, nothing? And I was like, well, I, it was a once in a lifetime deal. Like, it's not the kind of thing you say no to. And then the rodeo community like i knew i was going to be okay it wasn't like i was flying into you know over into australia to Third rodeo world. i don't know anybody yeah. at like this is i didn't know a lot but i knew enough about the people how to survive is too yeah. yeah because you know that's what so much that guys for one that don't know much about the western industry we take care of our own you know there's there's a lot about the western industry where people are getting rides from one another and you'll really see it in the steer wrestling You'll see them guys haze for each other. The guy hazing might be one in the rodeo, and they're hazing for someone else to beat him. Yeah. You know, there's so much in the Western. I mean, I think I was talking to Logan the other day, too, and he was talking about neighboring out there in ranching, you know, where all the, the neighboring ranches would all brand for each other. Yeah. 
And there's so much of that stuff where we help, you know, the Western industry is so much of that where people help each other out. And uh, it's a community and it's a sweet culture. But another thing is, too, is I don't think some people don't realize, too, sometimes be great. It's very, very uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. You might have to go without eating. You might have to do some stuff that you're not real sure how the outcome is going to be. But in order to do it, you've got to take that chance. I've always noticed that about you. You weren't scared. You weren't scared to take that chance and just went and did it. And, and that's why, like I say, that's, that's, that's great no matter what, whether it's breakaway and whether it's no matter what, like the, that kind of outlook is going to be successful and everything. Yeah. It's just the, uh, like my mentality going into it. Like my, I just always felt like I was prepared for it. Yeah. You know? Like, and that, then it was going to work out. And that was my deal was always, you know, be a good person, be somebody they want around and that they want to invite back. And then, you know, things are going to work out and, Everybody in this community, for some reason, for an event where everybody's going against everybody, every man for himself, this is such a good sport and community that just like pulls people up and mm -hmm. they don't generally leave people down on the ground unless they're just, you know, especially if they're decent people. Yes, yeah, I would agree. So then you make your first NFR in 2021. I always love asking everyone what, what that, what that's like. Now, y'all's first NFR ain't quite like ours. You know, the money's not there. It's not the yellow arena. It's not the Thomas and Mac. It's not 19 or 18,000 people above your head. It's still an opportunity, though. And so you get to go in 2021 to basically Breakaway's NFR. It's still a pretty cool dream in the fact of, you know, it's hard to, to you never would imagine yourself there team roping as a girl because it's just not really in the, in the cards. Well, now Breakaway, and you get, you get to go your first NFR breakaway. What was it like? What was, what was, the, what did that feel like? And what was the excitement about it? Oh, it felt it, the, the day uh, at Pendleton, uh, me and Jackie both did good in the long round. And then like, that was when I can't remember if it was when she made the finals, but it was for sure. Like when I made the finals was the first round of the Pendleton when I won. Cause it used to be one in the short mm -hmm. and uh, so, or still is, but that long round paid so good that it, it set me, set me in and uh, I got into, I also had to do good at Pendleton to get into the tour finale. It was at Salinas that year and that got me into that's that. Right. And so it really, that's when it was like so surreal and happened and stuff. And then we come home and on my way down here to rope with Jackie um, to get ready for the finals is when I found out monster couldn't go. Cause he had the torn suspensory and like, I'm just, then I'm just, Dad. Sick. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I have the yellow horse, but 10 runs on him is a lot in two days. And uh, then I have the sorrow horse that's green. Never been any, I mean, been some places like this, but nothing like this and that many runs. Like, never had that many runs on him in a day or in two days. So, for a lot of people, you know, getting used to watching the NFR on TV, you know, the NFR and, you know, the team roping and every other event is 10 full days. You rope the first round. 24 hours the next day you're up the next one it goes on for 10 days y'all's nfr in the breakaway is two days and you run five the first day five the second day so when you're talking about making all these runs it's a lot of runs because it's only within you're, you're making all 10 rounds in two days yeah it's a lot of runs and it's a lot to, uh, to ask of a horse especially i mean in our event i mean to go that many runs back to back and we run them so fast there's not even hardly time to breathe in between runs and it'd be like if you just go on the practice pin and blast five in a row, you would never dream of doing that and expecting your horse to be good on the fifth one. And that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, to not have the horse that I had the most confidence in there was super hard. 
And then that was at the, the same time, like they kind of told Jackie T-Boy wasn't going to build a go up for sure. Wasn't going to build a go. So me and Jackie were both kind of same boat with their mind game and stuff. And then uh, you actually talked to us both about it a bunch and like kind of got our heads. I want to say right in it. And uh, me and Jackie had two different goals going in, considering the horses we were riding, you know, Jackie went in on Kevin wanting to win go rounds. And I went in on the greener horse wanting to stay behind the barrier and win the average. But we both, uh, we matched each other here. We'd run 10 a day, five on each, two different horses and trying to figure out what we were going to ride. And Jackie ran a couple on the sorrow and was like, if you don't ride this one, you're dumb. She's <laughs> like, you need to ride this one. And then the finals, you know. Because we set up the barriers and the boxes and everything here, didn't we, and sparred. And, yep, timed them and everything. And me and Jackie went head-to-head. We did it uh, three days, three times, that we went head-to-head on 10 head in the exact setup on the most realistic calves we could get. And that helped tremendously just being here and then your mindset and, like, you knew so much more about it because we'd never been anywhere was a 10 head average or even close to anything like that. So then, like, picking your brain on how you go approach this, because it's obviously a lot different than what we have ever done. And especially different for the breakaway roping, because every rodeo we go to, it's a knife fight. I mean, there's no... And and another thing, too, is, like, for you guys just getting out there for 2019, 2020, 2021, y'all are, even even the veterans, you and the veterans are neck and neck, because none of y'all have ever seen these rodeos before. No one knows what the boxes are like. No one knows what the setup's like. Like, you're literally all rookies, no matter where you are in your game, because it takes a lot of experience to learn to strategize your horses now going forward. And even if y'all go into this NFR, you're still all kind of rookies in a way, because, you know, this is this is something new. It was so new. And it was, and then, you know, got the first one down. And then after the first day, my confidence just excelled on that horse there. And then it was, it was just easy after that. And that that finals was ended up being so good, but I do enjoy it a lot more now at the South Point. Uh, the setup in the venue is just a little more ideal. But yeah, I've went through that every year. The first year I went to ride Monster and he was hurt. Last, the second year I went to ride the Sorrow and he was hurt. And then this last year I went to ride Monster and he was hurt. So just those two are taking turns at the finals, I guess, on which one I get a ride. But they both have excelled my expectations of how good one should work there because i've seen like what your confidence level looked like in 2022 at the nfr yeah having a little bit of that experience having a little bit of that and then end up reserve world champion in 2022 what what now did you have all three horses in 2022 i no i haven't had a year yet where i've had all three really sound at the same time um and 22 22 was when i didn't have a single horse sound and I had to borrow a horse in the winter for the winter most of the winter and uh you know that's hard when you got three good ones you have so much confidence mm-hmm. on it and you don't get to ride any of them but then uh going into the finals uh the sorrow horse was hurt uh colonel yep hurt and out for a long time with kind of not a lot to know about and the monster had gotten hurt uh hung up the fence cut his hawk and they were like you can't ride him and Basically, I rode him. I think I rode him with one jackpot and practiced on him twice. Um, I went out to Arizona. Samantha Fulton, my home partner, had made the final. So I went out there and we roped together for about two weeks. And I rode him at one jackpot, ran three calves on him, and then I practiced on him twice. And I was like, he's going to be as good as he's going to be. I mean, what I need to do to get ready has nothing to do with him. And then, yeah, that horse, having him there was just like confidence like you can't imagine. And on that horse, I went in with a different game plan. Then it was, I want to 
I want to win go rounds. Like I want to mm-hmm. win the average, but I want to do it going fast. Yeah. And right off the bat, um, I didn't want to safety up at all. And those calves that year were outstanding for monster. And I want, yeah, just kind of went to beating on them. And monster was so good. I thought he was the best horse there that year on that setup. Not saying overall, but on that. No, setup. you you dominated. It was it was a great performance. Yeah, I thought he was outstanding and. Uh, Your timing of finding the calves right there when the neck rope popped and when you were ready to find that shot, it just looked it looked easy for you. It did. It felt so, so easy. It's amazing what horses do. Yeah. The timing of when you're comfortable, that almost they almost put the rope on for you. They're easy to get ahead of. They almost, when they're a good one, will let you win. Yeah. Do you let your rope? And then uh, after that finals, that's kind of when I was like, it kind of like a little more realistically stuck that like you are one of the best in the world and you deserve to go to the finals you deserve to that be confidence. here it's not it's not a luck bill you didn't the first year it was kind of like you maybe got lucky and had a decent year and made the finals but like we'll see if you keep doing it type of thing like i wasn't it's very hard to talk myself into like believing that i'm as good as i am like i don't ever like give myself like oh you you beat them all here one time you're the best there is like i don't ever give myself that but then like the sec after that finals then it was like yeah you you can play with them and you are, you know, because I was still thinking of, you know, the LD and Jackie and JJS and Kelsey and all them so superior to me. And then it's kind of like that's when it clicked that, like, you can hang with them. Yeah, that is cool. And then so in 2022 or excuse me, 2023, was that when after having a good year in 2022, a good NFR, was that when now you kind of started owning your own stuff? You had your own truck, you had your own trailer? So remember when you come pulling in, you were so excited. Mm-hmm. I couldn't remember what year it was, but I was so proud of you. You're like, yeah. I got my trailer. It was 2020. Yeah, it was this year, 2023, yeah. right yeah. after the NFR. Because you come pulling in, I'm like, I don't need nothing. Just a plug in this time. <laughs> the first place I came was here. <laughs> I, <laughs> I picked that trailer up and came straight down here and stayed here. Yeah. And that was, yeah, you gave me one of the biggest congratulations on that. Because a lot of people, it wasn't like I ever like led on that like I didn't have this stuff. So a lot of people, they didn't know me very well. And didn't ever have me stay at their place. They probably didn't know the like how big these steps were for me. But like you guys were, I was here at your house when I bought the dually truck the year before. And then I, yeah, first place I came after buying that trailer was straight down here. And I remember Jackie and you were both so happy for me because you guys had seen so much of Mm -hmm. like, you know, there was places that even um, we would go to rodeos and I would drive back and stay here at the house that Jackie wouldn't even come back and stay. Cause I know, cause I, <laughs> I remember I like, that. I didn't want to bother Jackie. I, by I think I called someone like, does anyone else know that Munsell's here? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would come back and stay here and stay in the apartment because I didn't want to bother Jackie to stay in the bus or nothing. And I didn't have nowhere to stay. So I'd just drive all the way back to y'all's house and stay. That was funny. Man, what a good year. So a slow, a slow, a slow start in 2023. Now, did you have, all of your horses, what horses did you have in 2023 in the wintertime? Uh, no, it was, that was a bit weird. Um, I had Monster and we just, things weren't clicking and Colonel was hurt and I was trying to bring him back. And for some reason, the winners um, had never been good to me. Like the three years previous that I'd went to winter rodeos, like never. I'd made the sem- one semifinals ever at a winter rodeo, and that was Houston the first year when we only ran one, mm-hmm. and I placed in the first round. It's very, very hard to get on a roll, especially with you guys where some of them were just one, and there's not as many. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of a lot of emphasis in the team are open to do good in the wintertime because you got Denver, you know, Odessa's okay, but like you got San Antonio, you got Tucson, you got 
you know, San Angelo, which now you guys have San Angelo. You know, we also have a lot of other rodeos, though, that are pretty good that y'all don't have. And so, like, it's it's important to do good in the wintertime for sure because it, they're big, but it's not always that easy. And there's usually only a handful, especially for y'all when there's only, like, one or, you know, now you guys are getting more opportunities, you know, at these rodeos where I think San Antonio is the same as everybody else now. Yeah. Well, you got three and then you keep progressing. It's the same in Houston now. Houston's yep. just like the rest of the events. And so now you're getting more opportunities to have those. To get kind of on a roll. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely helps. But my deal was always like the the past two, right after the NFR, I'd go stay in Arizona and I'd take young horses and jackpot horses and I'd go stay out there. And then I'd rope with Joe Beaver once and he would just, you know, not to make it sound harsh, but like tear my roping apart. Because you really got to like when you get to my our level, like to find the things wrong have to be very nitpicky. And then like to nitpick somebody that's winning as much you know and just come off of finals that good and then change my roping but i just knew like i knew there was something i I knew that my deal was is like he said i made good calves i made bad calves good but i couldn't make good calves great so like when i had a just good easy go i couldn't win first on that calf but i could have a calf that nobody else wanted and i could place on him with my like reaching and you know pulling off shots and i wanted to get better at that Mm -hmm. making an easy run win first that's wisdom and that's wisdom. And that's why you, you're, your roping is getting at so many different levels is because you're not scared to go where your weaknesses are. Yeah. That's that's what winners do. So then that terrible- And going to Joe B is a- <laughs> Yeah. I the know. guy's going to learn like, something. That's for damn sure. <laughs> I was like, I've never been so complimented and tore apart at the same time so many times in a row. Like, he's just like telling you this. He's like, but I'm just saying, he's like, you rope outstanding. So if you don't want to do it, don't do it. And I'm like, no, I think I should do it the way you made it sound. Yeah. But so it was like that tear apart. And I took all that. I mean, like everything he would tell me, I'd take to heart because that's not somebody I ever dreamed of roping with or getting critiqued by. And then also training and riding young horses because that's the only time of year I had time to do it was right after the finals. And then I just felt like I was always cold going into the winter rodeos. I changed my roping. I had been riding young horses, not staying in competition chart mode. Yeah, that is tough. And then this year, um, I've done better about I didn't. I didn't win her in Arizona. Still riding a bunch of young horses, but I didn't just get off good horses. And I didn't just quit entering and like only going to little things. Like I kind of stayed. I mean, I'm obviously not torturing my good horses, but I stayed going. I went to that deal in San Diego, which was also obviously a great till to go to. And I went to that WCRA and Guthrie and I went to the rope horse for Trudy. I just didn't like quit entering big yeah. things where I felt like I could mm-hmm. kind of just back off and relax i kind of kept myself kept your kept your sharpness going yeah and that's like i've talked to the trainers and stuff and they're like at your guys's level what some people find hard to realize is that it's muscle memory you know it now it's just staying sharp you Mm -hmm. know maintaining yeah you don't have to run a million a day you already know what you're doing you Mm -hmm. just have to do it enough to stay sharp and i feel like the two winners before learning to balance that takes takes a while i think the two years before in that tear down like i took the tear down so much to heart and then it was just like I didn't really give my chance, self a chance to get back into winning mode before I tried to start going to the winter rodeos. And then, you know, like if you get kicked in the teeth at Fort Worth, I mean, you only get around two and then it's, you don't get to go nowhere else. Right. And then right. you just go cold turkey into San Antonio, get kicked in the teeth there. And then it's just like, it was, I just feel like the winter was hard for me to dig myself out because there was no one headers for me to go to. There was nothing. And then it seemed like I was always so slow to get dug out of the rut after yeah. tearing myself apart to rebuild. And like, it obviously always worked. In the end of the year, I thought I always roped outstanding once I kind of, the rebuild did me so much good. And then once I got in a row, 
Yeah, because it looked like about sister's time, looked like you started kind of getting on the roll. Mm-hmm. And then Calgary looked like a good boost. Yeah. How cool was that? I mean, that that's that's a rodeo. That was awesome. That's a like that's a rodeo. I'm, you know, Calgary Stampede. Now it wasn't you're not there yet. You you guys are not in the you know, you're not yeah. in the main stage of it, but just the the Calgary Stampede victory. And then also you didn't you win uh uh your hometowner? Yep. I won the hometowner and that was really You had the a couple one. pretty cool ones that kind of start bump bump boosting your confidence because man, come summertime you just lit their ass up. Yeah. The winter rodeo at Woodward or I mean the rodeo at Woodward um winning the hometowner like at home in front of that that crowd on a calf that you weren't supposed to do good mm-hmm. on either. Like I drew a calf that wasn't one that really anybody wanted. And like but I knew I was riding the sorrow horse and I knew how fast he was and strong and I was like, the video is crazy to watch how far down the pin I am and still being that fast. But like we were going fast, and I mean there was not any rope left to be thrown whenever it got to the calf, and it was just a great run, and it was finally like, oh, yeah, you can do it. <laughs> and it's amazing that, like I always told Jackie there there for a while, like there she would, uh, I forgot what year she was, she was just struggling. I'm like, you're only one calf away, you are one calf away. Like if you take that last cast and this next calf, you're not going to get there. You keep doing what you know to do. You're one calf away. That one calf, it's amazing. When you hit the barrier, and there it is, How, confidence. Yeah. You're one. You're one calf away from getting on a roll. That's what I told the. That's what I tell my clinics when people ask like about my my mind game, my mental stuff, and I'm like, honestly, um, every run, every calf I miss or every bad run I make, and one run closer to winning money. Mm-hmm. And like, so then every time I ride back in the box, I'm like, this is the one. Yeah. I ain't done it in a long time, so it's coming. I know it's coming. I know I wrote good, and. So like every every time I miss the next time I ride in the box, it's almost like I got more confidence mm-hmm. that that's going to be the run. Corey Koontz, that that he he had a cool one where he would miss and in the practice pin, and he's like, "I'm all right with it." He's like, "I even though I'm going the rodeo tonight, he's like, I hardly ever miss two in a row." Yeah. So <laughs> that's that. that's, that's kind of awesome. cool. Like where you miss one row, sometimes I've actually seen like where Alpha, I know I don't miss two. No, you know, looking for that row. strategy. Luke Brown, I had him on the other day. He, his was really cool. He was talking about. Could you imagine what you'd rope this steer if you knew that you, what, how would you rope if you knew you're going to, if you miss, already missed? Would you be mad? Like when you had, like if you knew you missed this steer and you got to come back and run him again, like how much better you would do on him? Like he would find little things like that for fuel. And, and there, there's always something, everyone always has their own different stuff. That's why I love doing these podcasts is because hard work, it's a given. You got to have hard work. You got to have talent. You got to be able to ride. You got to be able to rope. That's, that's, that's everyone's foundation is all pretty much same. Now the pathway to get there, everyone's is different. Oh yeah. Everyone has a different way of how they got to the top. And that's, what's fun to find out. And Rodeon, just like, uh, there's so many people that are good horsemen that rope outstanding and stuff. And then people are like, they'd kill it if they went and rodeoed. I was like, but not, that's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. It's such a different mindset when you go rodeo. And honestly, it, the horsemanship and roping matters. But at some point, if you don't have the mental capacity to do what we do, you got to be a little little crazy mm-hmm. to do it a little mental then you're not going to excel at it i mean it is hard out there it don't matter how good you are i mean we've listened to some of your podcasts with some of the greatest in the world and they're bottoms i mean and then they come back from it and rodeo's hard it's mm-hmm. not easy yeah but yeah i would agree with that. it to do it <laughs> yeah you better love it you better love it because like i said you loved it i mean you freaking went to stan juan with nothing i know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and learned it's so an, much from it it's and, an experience. And, and what about that experience you'll never forget that yeah like I loved the freedom. I mean, when we're out, when we were rodeoing, it was free. You were free. Yeah. We're in an office. 
You didn't have a boss. You know, I mean, it was, you were, it's like kind of a little bit like the Wild West. You, you were free to be amongst this whole United States to drive and see all these different things and meet all these different people. It was, it was an experience that I'll never, never forget. And, um, and what a guy learns. Oh, yeah. It's like Ken Brace said, there's no other business like this. No. You're, you're self-employed. So, I mean, you think about when a guy is done, look at all those life skills you have. Yeah. You're a huge asset for anybody. <laughs> that is true. But it's been, yeah, it's definitely been, I'm not like, wasn't a kid growing up thinking this is what I was going to do, but everything like Aligned up that for it. led me to this was all meant to happen. And, you know, all the trials and hardships that happened led me to this. So yeah. I definitely can't have no grudges looking back at that stuff or regrets at any of it. So my, my, as a kid, mine was that yellow arena, man. Mine was the Thomas and Mac. That was, I, I roped the cowboy toy at home on the, on the ground watching the ESPN rodeos. I mean, that was my goal as a kid. And it took me 27 years to get there, I think. And my first NFR, I remember I got there and it, I, I, that little kid inside of me, I always knew that if I made it, like I was going to do a big dirt angel in the head box because that was my dream. That was my goal. Like that was, what the, that was what I lived for. Um, you know, I remember growing up as a kid, you know, we do the dirt angels in the snow and I'm like, if I ever get there, if I ever get there, I'm just going to lay in that box and do a dirt angel and just, just lay in that dirt and just experience it. And like almost that I did it. Like I made it. I finally put something into it and I finally got here. What's your dirt angel? Oh. That one was mine. What's yours now? <laughs> I don't know. You know, like the yellow arena is for sure that, but that's just, would not. we just don't know. I wish we knew for sure. But it's so hard for me to be like, all I dream of is going to the yellow arena whenever that's, I don't know. It's not like I can work to that goal next year because I don't know when it's going to be there. So, I mean, the world is right now winning the world because I hate saying it like this to people because some people don't get it but like i've not had a good year yet you know like i've had last year i won 1800 in the winter rodeos those are guaranteed paydays and i won 1800 dollars. <laughs> and like i haven't had a good year yet i've come on strong i've made the finals so obviously i've had good years but i haven't had a year where all my horses have been sound where i've got where i felt like i was riding the right horse at the right rodeos and doing the right thing and i'm i i want to have a good year just one whole good year, you know, and if somebody ends up beating me that has a better year than me, that's great. But I want to have a good year on all horses sound and, you know, finish up winning the world. You want that opportunity to rope like Taylor Monsell with all three of your horses under you the whole yeah, year. Yeah, all year. You know, because like I feel like it's always kind of like everybody's like, what is going on? And then all of a sudden everybody's like, where did this come from? And I just want that. Where did this come from all year long? I don't want to be the roller coaster. Right. Which my roller coaster, luckily, don't have a lot of lows and highs. It's usually just low for a while, and then we go up high for a mm -hmm. while before we go back down. But I would, that's kind of like my deal is I really just, the world, to win the world, I know I can do it. And I obviously have shown it in my rope and that I can do it. I just want to do that all year and do it and just make it look as easy as it feels to me sometimes. <laughs> I know it's not easy, but I know that I can put in the work and that I have the ability and the horses and everything to do that. Well, I think you will. I know. I know. There's a girl that lives at this place that's damn sure going to give you the run for her money. So I know. <laughs> I, know. I know both I know. of you have the same things aligned. <laughs> and to me, that's fun. Where both of y'all are friends and y'all get spar together. That's. I think that keeps y'all motivated. And 
Oh yeah, it helps so it's much. Healthy. Um, I try all the time. Um, every time I come down here, I think about it. Like getting, I get a rope with Jackie, but like just getting to rope with the others down here too, because you know, like JJ's always open to come rope with her mm-hmm. and Martha, and like those two have way different roping styles than me. But I can like I'm a I'm a visual learner, so I can watch them and like that's what I've said on another podcast. If I'm staring at you, it's not I'm judging you. I'm watching you. I'm gonna mm-hmm. watch like you're winning. You beat me somewhere. I'm gonna watch how you like down to the how you put your saddle on your horse in a like tight your tighten your cinch. Like I'm gonna watch everything you do because mm-hmm. I'm gonna figure out why you beat me. You know here, and, you know obviously there's some runs when like there's not a lot you can do to win first, but there are a lot of runs whenever I definitely could have done better than I did. Yeah, that's what's important. There's 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 tenths of seconds or a tenth of second that costs thousands of dollars. So what was it? Was it the calf or was it a bobble? If it's a calf, you move on to the next one. If it's a bobble, okay, what what was it? Where did I lose that tenth that cost me however many thousands of dollars and how many times a year did it happen? And that's when I think that's why guys are so always studying, always filming, always watching others because we're talking tenths of a second that could be world titles, NFRs. Oh, you yeah. Know. And it's, I mean, so crazy the minor detail it can come down to. A tenth of a second is very minor. When you come down to like even just the human error of the like a flag drop in or like somebody reacting to a flag drop in. Yeah. And then somebody actually getting the stopwatch stopped. Like, or is it a bobble in your slack? Yeah. Or was I behind and had to shove it? You know, yeah. Then this the thing, okay, what, what, what can I do? What can I improve on? And that's where some people get a little bit too mental. And then some people don't pay enough attention to it because then they keep going. So it's important to, it's important to at least acknowledge it, which I think you're really good at. But then also not go too far to where then you get in your own head. Yeah. You've done a good job of maintaining that. Habitual with none of it. I used to be a little worse about like if I did get somewhere, I'd try to mimic that the next place. And like. May not be the same calf. Not realistic to do. And like now if I feel myself start to kind of like if I'm usually it happens when I'm on a roll doing good, I'll start to get like a little like try to do stuff exactly the same and all this get weird where I will only use my string and not the string they provide. Just kind of little stuff like that. And as soon as I catch myself doing it, I change it. Cause yep. my mentality is I rope good enough. It's yep. That the string I'm tying on my saddle does not matter. Absolutely. The, you know, I try not to let, like I change my flags. If I catch myself getting habitual about anything that I think is leading to my winning and we change it. I mean, I'll rope with money in my pocket. I'll pay my fees with fifties. If I actually feel myself. Getting- <laughs> the $50 bill. Is that not the dumbest thing in the world? That guy wasn't broke. I, I used to shoe horses for 50 bucks. <laughs> and when I got a 50, that meant I got to eat. Yeah. I had no superstition about that. If I had money in my pocket, that was a good thing. That's a, like, I just try not to like, sometimes whenever, especially when I'm on the low and it's going bad, I'm like, here's all my fifties. Yeah. Pay my fees in my fifties. And like, or I'll rope with money in my pocket, you know, cause they said, don't rope with money in your pocket. Cause you can't win what you already got. <laughs> Never even heard that one. Yeah. That's, that's what, if you were roping with money in your pocket, you won't win money cause you already got money in your pocket. So you can't win what you already got. That's but crazy. I'll do, I'll do all those things, um, to trip, like just to make mentally make myself stronger that that doesn't actually, actually in the grand scheme of things matter. It doesn't. Totally true. And I see a lot of people that are just very. So it's a superstition. Yes. Superstitious. And that will get in your head. And then I feel like that's all fine and dandy until all of a sudden it's not, you know, like mm-hmm. you get too far into it and then it causes mind issues. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. 
Well, I know I'm rooting for you this year. You're going to have a kick-ass year, you and Jackie both. Um, thanks for being on this podcast. Yeah. I appreciate it. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. I love these stories. I love getting to know how you got there. I'm so proud of you for you got the good horses under you. You got a rig. I mean, you're, you've done it yourself. That's pretty damn cool. Yeah. Really cool. So how do we follow you? How do we keep up with what your career's going, uh, social media? Like, how do we, how do we follow you? Um, yeah, I have an Instagram page that, um, I run all my own social media still. So I have an Instagram page, just my name. And then I have a Facebook page, uh, on there. I have an actual page. that's Taylor Munsell rodeo athlete. So you guys can follow that. That's where I post all my rodeos, clinics, my everything going on, my schedules and all that stuff. Um, that's the best way to keep up is the Facebook page. That's the one I try to keep the most updated. Awesome. Awesome. All right, man. We'll do good. Thank Kick you. their ass. Thank Thanks you. for coming on.